Um, did you know that work-related stress is the single biggest cause of sickness in the UK right now? So 15 million days are lost each year to work-related stress, and it's costing UK companies and organizations five billion pounds annually. So we have that phrase, right, going back to the grindstone, but it seems that many of us in the UK are literally working ourselves into an early grave. And that's why you hear many people nowadays say, well, look, I want more working from home. I want a better sort of work-life balance. I don't want to be spending so many hours commuting in, breathing in carbon monoxide fumes. You hear about people quiet quitting. They don't actually quit their jobs. They're just getting away with the absolute minimum that they can get away with without being fired. Uh, people are trying out side hustles. Um, to earn a bit more money, and hopefully those side hustles will be really successful so they can quit their day job. And some people are captive to what is called hobo syndrome. Have you heard of this? This was a new one for me. This is a psychological term for those who will keep moving on from their jobs every 18 months or so as they look for a job that really sort of satisfies them and is true to who they really are. Look, I don't know how that resonates with you at all, whether you find yourself living for the weekend. I mean, many of us are quite young here, but are you longing already for retirement? Do you think to yourself, oh, I wish I didn't have to work anymore? On the flip side, do you know what one of the leading causes, not the main one, but one of the leading causes of um, anxiety and loneliness and depression is in the UK right now? Unemployment and not having a job. Right, we need to make a living, we need to pay the bills. We live in a society when, after you quickly said, hi, who are you, how are you? you know, what do you do for a living? Because we place such importance on job and employment, and if I'm unemployed, what's that say about me? And so we're in a situation where we're, we're stressed at work, we're depressed without work. How do we make sense of it all? How do we make sense of the pain of work, the frustration, the burden of work? How do we make sense of it? We, we need to. How does God fit into it all? We need wisdom. And it doesn't come better than the book of Ecclesiastes. This is part of God's wisdom literature in the Bible. This is God's wisdom for you and me today. And there are two, two, two key pieces of wisdom that God wants us to grasp. The pain of work, and in particular, the unavoidability, the inevitability, inevitability of the pain of work but also the joy and satisfaction that can still be found in our work. Okay, so that's where we're going. The pain of work, the enjoyment of work. First of all, let's look at the pain. This is verses 17 to 23. Look down with me on page 671. Verse 17. So, I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me, literally was greatly painful to me. And now look forward to verse 23. In summary, all their days, that is anyone who's worked, their work is grief and pain. The pain of work. Two brief introductory comments at this point. When the Bible speaks of work, it is not referring exclusively to nine to five employed work, although of course it includes that. Um, in the Bible, work is a much more broad term, much more holistic term. Housework, homework, volunteer work, church work, working out. The vital work, stay-at-home parents doing raising up the next generation of humanity. Wherever you and I, whenever you and I are expanding our mental, physical energies, that is what is meant by work. And the author here is saying, it's all painful, and it is all grievous. 
Uh, second thing to say is the author of Ecclesiastes, he's no down in the dumps depressive. Um, King Solomon, who arguably is the guy who most likely wrote this, is the wisest, richest, most successful person in the world at the time. Uh, under his reign, um, the nation of Israel was at its military economic peak. The kingdom had stretched to its furthest boundaries. This was a golden era. The light. People from all across the world would come, like the Queen of Sheba, and say, oh, and just praise King Solomon for his success, his work, and even he is saying, it is all painful and grievous and frustrating and as a burden in work. Now, why is that? Well, in the text, we're given two reasons. First, because our work doesn't last. There's a fragility, a transience to it all. And we can see this in verses 18 to 21. If you glance down at verse 18, he says, I hated all the things I toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Did you know that 70% of wealthy families will lose all their wealth um, within the second generation and 90% of wealthy families will lose it all within the third generation? And Solomon's certainly going to find that out with his son, Rehoboam. Now, what's the point of working so hard all my life and being really successful and achieving lots where it's just in a generation or so it's completely lost? And sometimes not in a generation later after I die, but in our own lives where suddenly we are, we're sacked, we're made redundant, we weren't expecting it. There's a restructuring in the company. There's an early retirement and all these years and taken from us in just a second. My wife Jo, she's on maternity leave at the moment. She got a call week before last from her HR and they said, our oh, senior management have just met last night and they've decided actually to close the, the entire counselling service which she heads up and so we need to make you redundant. I was like, what, where did that come from? And 10 years... You know, my wife has poured all her energies, wisdom into it and just taken from her, just like that. And please don't hear me publicly criticizing the decision. I'm sort of very important strategic decisions about it. I'm just making the point that work can be so fragile. It can be so transit. It can be taken from us just like that. And there's an incredible pain and heartache and grief with that. Have you ever done a really good piece of work only for a colleague or boss to take the credit for it? Have you labored over a pitch to a client only for it to go to someone else? Have you ever lost your job after many years devoted to it? Or maybe not many years devoted to it, but just do you know something of that, that pain? And that is what the author of Ecclesiastes is describing for us here. That's the first reason for the pain of work. It doesn't last. The second reason why work is so painful is because even when we're doing it and we've got a job and we are working, there's just an incredible amount of stress to it. Do you notice that in verses 22 to 23? What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A recent poll found that British people think about quitting their jobs on average 16 times a year. So you're not just the only one, right, if you're thinking of quitting right now. If only I could find a job which pays more, if only I could find a job with less working hours, with more autonomy, if only I could find a job with a better team, a less harsh boss, a less frustrating colleague, and if only I could find a job that, that really satisfies me and you know, who I am. There's just this anxious toiling and striving 
and a restlessness at night. I'm not sure if you've ever found yourself awake at night, your mind worrying, you just cannot sleep because of the exam you've got the next day, because of a presentation you've got to give in front of the team, because of this awkward conversation you've got to have with the colleague. Restlessness, uneasy, fidgety, the pain of work. Now, where does this all come from? There are many allusions throughout the book of Ecclesiastes to Genesis chapter 3 and the fall and the curse on the world that we are now living under because of human sin. And one of these allusions is verse 22. Let me read a a verse from Genesis chapter 3 and see, see how it alludes to this. So this is God speaking to Adam after the fall. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. All the days of your life. This is what life is like now under the sun. This is what work is like now in a fallen world. Painful, grievous, burden. I'm not sure if that's a shock to you if you're just about starting out at work. Oh my goodness, that's what I'm in for. But it's really important we have realistic expectations for it because you, you just can't avoid it. You can't avoid the curse. It is inevitable. Even if you do move on to another job, even if you do find a better boss, even if you find a better team, even if you find a job that actually does fit you even better, there will still be this pain, still be this stress, still be this burden. There is no such thing as a perfect job. Everything is fallen. Every workplace, every job, every team. Don't be surprised if your experience of work is painful, grievous, restless. It is all our experience. Baby boomers tend to move job every 10 years. Millennials, on average, every 2.8 years. But whenever you're moving, please be, God is saying to us, you cannot escape this intrinsic pain now, frustration, a chasing after the wind, life in a fallen world. Just to be clear, of course, at times we might need to move on job if God's calling us elsewhere, if you're being discriminated against, exploited, and HR are doing nothing, of course, move on. But if you have that something of that hobo syndrome, I can just get that job, just get that job, just get that. It's going to be a never-ending task. And I think this is such a helpful corrective against any superficial, happy, clappy Christianity which says, well, you know, if I become a Christian or if I am a Christian and God's in my life, well, surely my work is going to be like fulfilling and satisfying. Or if I work for a non-profit, if I work for a Christian organization, if I leave the secular workplace and come work for a church, well, everything's going to be all right. Let me tell you, it's not going to be. There is pain in both. I was a trader at Deutsche Bank. I'm a minister here. There is pain in both. Curates you're expecting to get and you don't get. Retirements you weren't expecting. Spiritual burnout, pastoral fallouts. I've seen it all. Take it from me. The curse is everywhere. Let's have realistic expectations for it. Painful toil, God says, all the days of our lives. Now, let's move on quickly to point two, okay? And the enjoyment of work, because you could be getting pretty depressed right now and pretty despairing. And what's the point? You know what? I am going to quiet quit because there is a joy, there's a satisfaction to be found in our work amidst this pain and this toil and this stress and this burden. Did you notice that at the end of the passage? Verse 24, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find 
enjoyment. Look, that might sound contradictory. There's a, there's a stress, a burden that can't be... Can be what are you saying here is there is an intrinsic joy and satisfaction to be found in our work, even amidst the pain and stress all around. So, for example, the oven beeps. You open it up, and out comes the cake, just as it's meant to be. And it just looks fantastic, and it's fluffy, and it's moist to the taste, and you just think, yes, now I did it. And I made it, even before anyone else has got to taste it. You just the joy of like creating something and it coming out right. There is a joy, there's a satisfaction in that. Perhaps you're chairing a meeting at work, it goes really well. You use the right words at the right time. You drew other people in, you quietened down the loud person. There was quite a heated discussion, but you've come out it clearer on the way forward. And the whole team are happy. You think, great. All those hours editing that document. Hours and hours. But now that press release says exactly what you want it to say, despite the tight word count. The Excel spreadsheet with all the formulas and links, the lines of code, you spent weeks writing, you hit return, and it works. Even if someone else in the team takes the credit for it, even if the boss takes credit, you did it. A sense of achievement and in completing the super hard Sudoku puzzle, the Times cryptic crossword, Satisfaction of crossing the finish line at the London Marathon, climbing to the top of the mountain. Those with young children here. Perfectly colour coordinating what your kid is wearing, the French braids in their hair. Like, do you do something for yourself? Like, this joy and this set of a job well done. Where does that come from? It comes from the hand of God, verse 24. And here's the reason why. Because work is not inherently cursed. Work is inherently good. Now, you heard me right on that. Work is inherently good. Because before Genesis 3 and the curse of work, the Genesis 1 and 2 and the goodness of work, and God creating us to work for him as we cultivate his world with him. And under, God did not make us for work to be like blood, sweat, and tears, but to find joy and satisfaction in our work as we work for him. I mean, think of God creating humanity from the dust of the earth. So here is God getting his hands dirty, right? Manual labor. Adam's first job, a gardener. Jesus Christ's first job, a carpenter. Why is it that we love creating, inventing, making, building things, creating things, designing things? Because we're made in the image of a creator God. Work is inherently good, and so we can still find joy and satisfaction in it as we see our work from the hand of God, even in the cursed world. Do you see your work from the hand of God? That's the key. Now, but you say, Mark, you know, what about the nothing lastness of work, which we've just spoken about before? What about the fact that all our work is taken from us in the end, if not in life at death. What is the point of finding joy and satisfaction now if one day it's all taken from us? My, my six-year-old son, Jacob, um, he loves to play in the sandpit in Middleton Square Park, just up the road. He can, he can play in it for hours. If you are there at the beach trip yesterday, you probably would have seen it. Just the joy and satisfaction he finds and just walking to the tap around the corner, getting his bucket, wetting the sand, building all these labyrinths and all the rest of it. 90 minutes he spent doing it. Um, the last week, made this incredible, lots of towers and all the rest of it, until a toddler um, came into the park 
and just trampled all over it straight away. And you can imagine, like, oh my goodness, like, he was distraught. Now, I was really pleased that Jacob didn't punch this guy in the face. I was like, got a few, good start. Didn't shout at him, second good start. You know, he's just like head in hand, distraught. Now, of course, it's a public playground. These sort of things are going to happen, but you can feel something of that frustration after all those hours of joy. Anyway, the mother of the toddler who had just destroyed Jacob's work in his sandcastles comes up to him. I'm thinking, oh, this is good. He's going to come alongside him. Says, well, that's a life lesson for you, young man. Nothing lasts. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. I was thinking to myself, if you want to give a life lesson to someone, why don't you give it to your own kid and tell him not to destroy my kid's work? But I thought that wasn't very gracious, so I bit my lip. But, you know, this life lesson didn't go down too well with Jacob. After all the 90 minutes of trying to put this all together, and it destroyed in a moment. What do you mean nothing lasts? Well, what's the point? Here is the point. Verse 26. To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. In other words, just because nothing lasts doesn't mean nothing matters. Just because nothing lasts doesn't mean nothing matters. Everything matters to the Lord. The Lord sees everything, everything you do for him, no matter how small and there will be a reward on the final day for it. The one who pleases God works for him, wisdom, knowledge, happiness. The one who works for themselves, their own success, the sinner, you know, their own re- whatever they gain will be ultimately taken from them. God sees everything. Everything you do. And there'll be a reward for it. And we can be absolutely sure of this in the wider biblical narrative because of the ultimate work of all, the saving work of Jesus Christ. I mean, the Son of God who enters in the sweat, blood, and tears of a fallen world. And ultimately, at the end of his life on the cross, he opens up his arms in love to bear the burden and guilt and shame of all our sin and all our laziness in work and all our overwork to the detriment of others. All the times we forgot God in our work, we've quite quitted the hobo syndrome. He's done it all to restore us to fellowship with him. And Jesus Christ rose from the dead, so he's alive, so death is conquered. Things are going on forever. So whatever we are doing for him, he sees, he delights in. Do you know what he says in Colossians chapter 3? He says, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. As a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So I said to Jacob, look, it is so frustrating when things like this happen. Your work is destroyed and taken from you just like that. But you know what? With the risen Lord Jesus Christ, nothing is wasted. Everything matters. He sees it all. He will even reward you for it. So keep building your sandcastles for him. And I'd love to say that he said at the end of that, thanks, Dad, just what I wanted to hear. But I think it just went completely over his head. But he went back to the sandpits that I'd you know, building a sandcastle. I thought, great, some of it's probably gone in. I hope it has gone in for us. Even though nothing lasts, everything matters to the Lord. Everything, every stinky nappy change, the new parents amongst us, every next round of washing up that we have to do, every carefully worded email, all the hours you spent on that pitch, even though it wasn't successful, or that job interview, that brilliant piece of work you produced only for it to be taken, the credit for it taken, God sees it all, and he delights in it as you are doing it for him. 
And one day he will reward you for it, even if you get no reward for it now. So work at it wholeheartedly, as if working for the Lord. I don't know how you're feeling about Monday morning, whatever Monday morning means for you. I don't know if just the mention of it, just, you know, this weightiness in your heart. My goodness, going to go back to work um, tomorrow. But here are two pieces of wisdom from the Lord for you. It will be painful. It will be stressful. There will be a grief. There will be a burden to your work. It is unavoidable. It is inevitable. And just having that realistic expectation is perhaps really helpful for you right now. I know it is helpful for me as I come back to work this week. And yet at the same time, there is a deep joy and satisfaction to be found in our work amidst that pain and stress as we remember that our work is from God and for God from the hand of God and doing it all for him. The pain of work, the enjoyment of work. Let me pray that for each and every one of us now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank and praise you for the book of Ecclesiastes and the way you're wanting to give us wisdom for life, wisdom for work. Something we're all involved in, whether it's nine to five, employed work or any volunteer work, housework, homework, you name it. And Father, we want to have realistic expectations of life in this world, life in a fallen world, and the pain and the grief and the stress and the burden of work and the unavoidability of it, that inevitability of it. So please would you give us realistic expectations, not to be too optimistic or not too uh, negative about it. But Father, admits that stress, admits that pain, thank you so much that there can be a joy and a satisfaction as we recognize all our work comes from you. They are made to work. And that Jesus Christ has redeemed work. And you see it all. And even though nothing lasts, everything matters. There's a final day to come and you'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now enter the joy of your master's rest. Please help us to take this wisdom into the next week, whatever you have for us. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.